Sure, some said they didn't hear me yesterday. You all hear loud and clear now? Good. Okay, we're all charged. You know, yesterday we talked about uh, perception <clears throat> in our pursuit of Peter. And um, what people think of us in different places of life as we what influence do we leave with them and how do they perceive us Um, I didn't share a story with you yesterday but I'll share it with you now there was this lady flying from point A to point B she was blind there was an intermediate stop between A and B when they stopped at the intermediate stop people deplaned that were getting off at that stop and the stewardess came up to her because she was there blind with her seeing eye dog and asked her if she'd like to get off the plane and the lady said no she said I'm I'm quite comfortable thank you but my dog could take a walk and so the stewardess uh, she wasn't she couldn't leave the plane but just then the pilot drove came a walk by and he heard the conversation. He said, well, I'll take your dog for a walk for you. So he took the dog, uh, put on his sunglasses, and proceeded to walk out the jetway. <laughs> when he arrived at the entrance to the jetway, of course, you know, the people are all lined up to get on. And when they saw this pilot walking off with a seeing-eye dog... There was an immediate exodus to reschedule their flights. So. That's supposed to be, it was, at least it was told to me as a true story. So uh, I'll let you uh, evaluate it. But how people perceive us, what they think of us after they've been in our presence. What do they think of Jesus after they've come to know us? And that brings us to our continuing study of of Peter. In some ways, Peter is the most remarkable and colorful of all the disciples. Um, It's easy for me to identify with Peter because um, his problems are similar to my problems in serving the Lord. Um, And like I asked yesterday, maybe you have a Bible character that you especially uh, identify with. But anyway, who would have thought? Who would have thought that this Galilean fisherman, a fisherman, would be introduced to Jesus and Jesus would say to him, you are Simon and you will be Peter. You will be Peter. Whenever we study uh, the life of Peter, we need to remember uh, the different phases of his life, because in the gospel, they introduce us to uh, Peter's training. That's where he gets his training in the gospels. You get over to the book of Acts and there Peter is the leader in the church. He's the he's God's spokesman speaking on the day of Pentecost and so forth. He's up there just preaching his uh, his little heart out. And then that's his testimony. And then his teachings that he gives to us in First and Second Peter. Read them until you have an opportunity. In First Peter, he teaches us how to suffer for Jesus. That's his first epistle of Peter. In his second epistle, he teaches us how to be loyal to Jesus. First and Second Peter. Read them sometime. So Jesus meets Peter by the Sea of Galilee. If you have scripture with you, open it with me uh, to John, the first chapter, John, chapter one. And in verse uh, 40, John, chapter one, verse 40. And one of the two who heard John speaking, followed him was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. He first found his brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. The Messiah has come, which is translated to Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, you are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, 
which is the Aramaic for the Greek translation, Peter. You are Peter. Peter had heard John the Baptist preach. He had heard John declare that this is the Lamb of God which is going to take away the world, to take away the sins of the world. So when Peter is introduced to Jesus and Jesus says to him, you are Simon, that you will be Peter. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, you have a real future for your life. You, by following me, I can make a difference in that life for you. If you continue to follow me. And that must have put a, a, a just a little step spring in Peter's step to think that Jesus was going to make a difference in his life. And he certainly needed a difference. So Jesus, Peter meets Jesus and then he follows Jesus. He becomes a disciple of Jesus, a follower of his. And he's going to learn truth with Jesus. He's going to learn truth with Jesus that he'll not learn any other place. And you know, beloved, that's the way it is with us. We learn truth from Jesus as it is in his word that we'll not learn any other place. And that must be the standard for the Seventh-day Adventist Church today. And that is the truth, biblical truth, that it is God's word. So Jesus invited Peter to follow him and he says, I will make you a fisher of men. Peter's going to preach the word of God. He's going to now, instead of be catching fish for a business, he's going to be catching fish for God's kingdom. The scriptures tell us that they left their nets immediately, immediately, which is really astounding. But they left their nets immediately and learned to follow Jesus and dedicate their lives to him. Which brings us to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. In the 8th chapter of Mark, you'll recall that Jesus and his disciples are up in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is a, um, it's a Gentile city on the north end of uh, Galilee. And he's asking them, who do individuals say that I am? And they said, oh, Elijah, and so one of the prophets, and so forth. But then Jesus, um, he, he wants to get a little more intimate with them. But, but who do you say that I am? He wasn't necessarily interested in the response of what other people thought of him. What do you, who do you say that I am? If someone asked you, who is Jesus, can you tell them who Jesus is? I suppose when Jesus asked that question, the disciples may have sat in silence for a moment looking at each other. Well, who's going to handle that one? And here comes our man forward again, Peter. He says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Keep that in mind now. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Keep that in mind because from here on, for the next few days and weeks, Peter's life is going to go like this. Down. He is going to stumble badly. Stumble badly. He says that you are the Christ. Turn over with me to the 14th chapter of Mark. Mark chapter 14, keeping in mind now, he has just declared that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. Notice verse uh, 71. Verse 71. Mark chapter 14, verse 71. Then he, Peter, began to, oh, what's this? Oh, that has to be a misprint. <laughs> then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. 
He's the Messiah. You've declared he's the Christ. And now he says, you're mistaken. I don't know him. Don't know him. Never heard of him. Don't know who he is. He denies Jesus. Somewhere deep down in Peter. Something that he never dreamed of is taking place. He has just confessed Christ to be the Messiah. And now he says, I don't even know him. You know, when you think of the trial of Christ, it's easy for us to get upset with the Jewish council, the Roman government for the way they treated Christ. But um, most of us are not like the council or the Roman government, but most of us are like the disciples. We say we wouldn't treat Jesus like the government did in the Jewish council. But are we more like the disciples that we would deny Jesus? That we would deny him as Lord of our lives? How could it happen, someone like you and me? How could it be? That our walk with the Lord for years and years and years, and then we stumble, stumble badly. Sometimes because of choices or a series of choices. And this is why speaking about Peter, I'm speaking to my own heart. Because as Paul said, let him that thinketh he standeth take what? Heed lest he fall. All of us are subject to that stumbling. It's a warning for us. It's a warning that um, I want to share with you this morning because Peter stumbles badly. And it all began with how Peter handled truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. God's word is truth. The spirit of God will guide us into all truth. And so this morning we're going to look at how we deal with truth and our response uh, to truth. Now, I'm assuming that each of us here this morning accept the Bible as the word of God. I believe the Bible to be the word of God. I believe it to be the literal word of God. The absolute word for our lives to be lived in according with. So I want to share with you four things in the life of Peter. I believe you've all received just this little simple outline. And I'm indebted to my colleague in ministry, uh, Don Hubbard, for pointing these four points out uh, to us. Uh, Peter, right in the first blank there, Peter begins by questioning the truth. He questions the truth. The second one, he, he, he compromises truth. Questions it, compromises truth. Third one, he ignores the truth. Questions, compromise, ignored. Fourth one, he forgot the truth. He forgot the truth. He began in stumbling when he questioned the truth. And that journey continued downward so that he began to compromise the truth. Because whenever we question truth, it can lead us to compromise it, which means we have a a really a, a diminished view of Jesus, ignoring the truth, knowing what the truth says, but deliberately not doing it. And we forget the truth. Forget the truth. Mm-hmm. I don't even know this man. And to prove it, he begins to curse. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. Mark chapter 8 and verse 31. 
And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spoke this openly to them. Here Jesus introduces them to the idea and the experience they're going to go through that the immediate end of his life is going to be a cross. It's not a grandiose kingdom in which they're going to be set up as the rulers. No, it's going to be a cross. They need to understand what the death and resurrection of Jesus is going to be all about and what it's going to do for them. They're thinking of kingdom. And so he begins to teach them that he must suffer many things and die. In verse 31 Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. After all, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's my mission. I've come to die. And Peter, catch verse 32 now. It's an amazing verse. Verse 32. Peter then took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Peter taking Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Peter doesn't realize it, but operating within him are forces of rebellion, forces of hurt. It all began with questioning the truth. He says, Jesus, surely you have to be mistaken about this. You have to be mistaken about this. He doesn't want Jesus to die. And so he takes him aside and rebukes him. And Jesus comes back and it says, Jesus rebuked Peter. And he said to him, what? Get thee behind me. And I think. In Desire of Ages, Mrs. White makes the concept, the the idea that Jesus is really speaking to the devil. Because the devil is trying to use Peter to divert Christ's attention from the goal and the objective that he has come for. So he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter was weak in understanding truth, compromising truth. And you cannot compromise truth, beloved, the gospel, as Peter does. He begins to question the way of salvation. He's beginning, isn't there another way to God except by Jesus dying? Later he comes over in the book of Acts, I believe it's chapter 4, he says, there is no other way. There is no other way. The way is Jesus. But right now he's trying to, he doesn't want Jesus to die. There has to be another way of solving this sin problem. He questions the truth. Jesus has told him he's going to the cross. And Peter says, no, Lord, you've got it all wrong. I'd like to submit to you this morning that Nearly all backsliding begins by questioning truth. It's how we receive the truth, how we respond to the truth. If we begin questioning truth, beloved, it puts us on slippery ground. Very slippery ground. And it gets us to the point that Peter is at right now of denying the Lord. Jesus had told them, all of you in Mark, the 14th chapter, go over there to Mark 14, chapter 14, verse 27, Mark 14, verse 27. Jesus says here, um, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. You're all going to stumble because of me this night. And Peter says, Lord, even if these others stumble, in verse 29, I will not. You can count on 
me. And Jesus goes on in verse 30. And he says, surely I say unto you today that this night, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he spoke the more vehemently to Jesus. If I have to die for you, I will not deny you. And the rest of the disciples said, likewise. No, Lord. No, we'll not deny you. We'll die with you. What Peter is saying is that, Jesus, I know better than you do. I know better than you. In his own heart, Peter could not consider the fact that there would be a series of circumstances that would lead him to deny his Lord. He had no concept of that. But Jesus knew better. Here we find Peter sitting in judgment of truth. Instead of allowing the truth to sit in judgment of him and his life. I had a lady in one of my churches one time that quite was talking with me and questioning the tithing program of the church. She was a rather a, a poor lady. And she said to me, what, but Pastor, uh, tithing is only for the wealthy people, those who can afford it. I said, is that a biblical concept? No, she said, that's my concept. I said, well, what about the word, God's word, when he talks about tithing? Well, she said, if God wants me to tithe, he'll speak to me. So I said, you don't believe that God in speaking to you through his word is sufficient enough? That is the truth. That's the way what God wants you to do, what he's asking you to do. No, she said, he'll speak to me. So she's going to deny the word and wait for God to speak to her. But that is what she was to do. Which brings us to point number two, compromising the truth. Go with me to Mark chapter nine. Mark chapter nine. In the ninth chapter, we have Jesus with the disciple, a few of them, uh, going up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's going to have the transfiguration there. Transfiguration means just the changing. Jesus is, is, was the change, the glory uh, that was able to be seen with him and through him as Moses and Elijah come to speak to him about the future events in his life. And chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, uh, verse 2, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on the mountain apart from them by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow, as no launderer on earth could whiten them. Elijah appeared to them and Moses. They were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Didn't know what to say. That's Peter. He'll find something to say. He'll come up with something. Let's build three dwelling places here. One for you. One for Moses. And one for Elijah. Do you see what's happening? You see what happens when you begin to question truth? Then you begin to have a diminished view of Jesus. You see, to Peter, Jesus is no longer the fairest among 10,000. He's no longer the high and mighty one. He's trying to put him on a par with Moses and Elijah. He's just one of the three. He's compromising truth. 
Verse 7, notice what it says. And a cloud came over and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. You can't put Jesus on the par with Moses and Elijah. He is the son of God, the exalted one. Not one that just wants a a place in your life. He doesn't want a place in your life. He wants preeminence in your life. The one and only Jesus. And Peter is trying to say, let's build three booths. One for each of you. And God says, no, no. You're not going to share the glory of my son with another. You see what happens when we begin begin to question truth? We compromise the truth. Too bad that Peter is this way. Because I share with you this morning, beloved, that Jesus is Lord of all. Or he is not Lord at all. Jesus is Lord of all. all. What Peter doesn't know is that he has some cracks in his character. And his future looks bad for him. Unless he's able to get them straightened out. And he's not able to do that at this point. Which brings us to point number three of ignoring the truth. Let's go to Mark chapter 14 once again. Ignoring the truth. Mark chapter 14. Ignoring the truth. And beginning with verse um, verse 27. Verse 27. Jesus said, all of you are going to be made to stumble this very night because of me. It is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. I'll not stumble, Lord. Jesus said, assuredly, I say unto you today that this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he spoke more vehemently, if I have to die for you, Lord, I will die for you rather than deny you. And they all said, likewise. Poor Peter. He's been warned by Jesus. But what does he do? But ignore the truth. Jesus said, you're going to deny me. No, I'm not going to deny you. Jesus, you've got it all wrong. Now, I know these other guys that are with us. You you can't trust them. Look at Thomas over there. He's a doubter. He doubts you. Judas, he's the thief. He's the thief. James and John, careful. They're only out for themselves, Lord. They want to be right here with you. In fact, don't you remember they even got their mother involved? And how do you deny the request of a mother? Impossible. Don't trust them, Lord. Here's the one you can trust. Here's the one you can trust. I'll not deny you. I'll not let you down. Take my word for it. You can trust me. When we begin to ignore the truth, our prayer life begins to wane. In Mark chapter 14, notice um, 
verse 32. Verse 32. Then they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible at all, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Are you sleeping, Simon? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. They are asleep. Poor Peter. Warned by Jesus. But what does he do? He falls asleep in his most critical hour. Simon, are you sleeping? How could you sleep, Simon, after I've just given you a warning? How could you sleep? I just told you that before the night is over, you're going to deny me. And in light of that warning, how could you possibly be sleeping and not be spending time in prayer? But you see, Peter has a problem. And his problem is with truth. He's ignored it. And when you ignore truth, beloved, one of the first things that begins to go is your prayer life. And when your prayer life suffers, you become fair game for the enemy and what's going to happen. Simon, are you sleeping? Don't you understand? This is the hour of prayer now. Before the night is over, you're going to deny me three times. That's not all. Notice verse 42. Verse 42. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve with the great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and scribes and elders. Now his betrayer had given him a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him, went up to Jesus, Judas going to Jesus, and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. John and Luke tells us that that one is... Peter. Peter. Now, Peter is a what by occupation? A fisherman. Peter is not a swordsman. And a sword in the hand of a fisherman can be dangerous. It can be very dangerous. And so he starts flying away. And I suppose he went for the weakest part in the helmet, and that's the seam. And he missed it and came down and took off the ear. Jesus went over and touched and healed it. And that was the last miracle of Jesus before his, his death. 
sometimes there are individuals who, people of God, who think that the, the best way to serve God is to slash, cut, hurt. I'm going to fight for my Lord. Think about it for a moment. Peter's a strong man, as we mentioned yesterday. He's a fisherman. And to stand there in a boat and take that net that has weights on the bottom of it and take that and fling it out there in the sea and then pull it in with a catch required a strong individual. Probably Peter was given to violence. And maybe the way that he's settled his disputes was allowing his emotions to get out of control and fighting it out. But that's Peter. He has very high emotions. Remember on the way to the garden, Jesus had told Peter he's going to deny him. That hurt Peter. He's stung by it. And then they get to the garden and Jesus rebukes him again. He says, Simon, are you sleeping? And all this is weighing on Peter's heart. And in order for him to show just how loyal he is to Jesus, he has to show him by the way that he's going to fight for Jesus. And he had a sword. What was in his mind? There's a great multitude with swords and clubs. And he has a little sword here. And he's going to defend the Lord with that sword. But Peter missed it. He missed it badly. You see, we don't show the Lord that we are followers of the Lord. Or believers of the Lord. We don't show the Lord that we love him by this public display of anger and fighting it out. The way that we show the Lord that we love him is by walking with him, loving him, and serving him. And the Lord rebukes him again. Peter, put up that sword. It all began questioning the truth, compromising the truth, and ignoring the truth. Which brings us to our fourth point of forgetting the truth. Forgetting the truth. Which now takes us to Mark, the 14th chapter. Mark chapter 14. And notice verse 50. Mark 14, verse 50. It says, And they all, they all forsook him and fled. Now, in verse 31, you remember, <laughs> Peter says, We're not going to deny you, Lord. No way. And they all said likewise. No way, Lord, we're going to deny you. But here in verse 50, a few verses on, they all denied him, they all forsook him, and they all fled. Remember, John, who is the son of Zebedee, they had a prosperous business. They were a pretty well-off family. Uh, Zebedee was well-known in Jerusalem. Uh, They had servants that helped in the fishing business. And Zebedee was known by the high priest. He had an inn with the high priest. And John, who was Zebedee's son, knew the high priest too. And he knew the gatekeeper to the courtyard of the the high priest. And if you go to John the 18th chapter, John chapter 18, You remember that they come there 
to go into the courtyard, John chapter 18 and verse uh, verse 15. John 18 and verse 15. And Simon Peter followed Jesus and did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside. And then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. See, John had connections through his father's Zebedee. And so he was able to get Peter in. You know, it's nice to know people in high places sometimes. They can drop the word and do things for you. This is what John does. He takes the word, speaks the word, gets Peter in. He was able to enter. And this brings us to the final dramatic episode at this place. Peter's questioned truth. He's compromised the truth. He's ignored it. And now he forgets it. Go with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. It's a cold night in Jerusalem, like it's a cold morning in Lake Tahoe. And my fingers are so cold, I can hardly turn the pages. (laughs) It's a cold night in Jerusalem. Um, chapter 22, and notice verse 55. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain girl, a servant girl, seeing him as he sat there, looked intently at him and said, This man is also with him. And he denied him, saying, woman, I don't know him. I don't know him. You're mixed up. There must be someone else that looks like me. Because I don't know this man. And after a little while, another saw him and said, you are also of them. And Peter said, man, I'm not. You don't know what you're talking about. And then about an hour or so passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also is with him because he's a Galilean. He has a little dialect in his speech. We know who you are. You don't talk like us. You see. And Peter denies him. I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're saying. And immediately in verse 60, immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Peter might have thought he'd like to wring that rooster's neck about then. But the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed. And Peter heard. Peter heard that. And it says in verse 61 there. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How that he had said before the rooster crows. You will deny me three times. Verse 61, and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Notice what's happening here. The Lord is looking at Peter. He knows what's going on in Peter's heart. Poor Peter. Jesus knew what he was experiencing. It's not Peter looking for Jesus. It's Jesus looking at Peter and their eyes lock. And immediately, he remembers what Jesus said. You'll deny me three times. You see, beloved, it all began by questioning truth. Questioning truth. 
when truth is no longer truth. It's just an option. It's easy to question it. Because when we question the truth and compromise the truth, we begin to have a diminished view of Jesus. Instead of being the one and only in my life, he's just another aspect of my life. When we ignore the truth, and the scripture says one thing and we just kind of brush it aside, it doesn't mean what it says, because our culture today is different. It doesn't really mean that. I don't know if you read the article by Andy Nash. Andy Nash was a student back at Walla Walla University. He's down at Southern University now. Teaches journalism, I believe. But in the review, it's April 15 issue. Yeah, April 15 issue of this year. Listen to what Andy says. It's an article worth digging out and reading again. He talks about texting. He uses the play on our word of texting today. He said, I've been surprised to see doubts raised about whether Jesus himself was as smart as we are. Hmm. Once in an online discussion about creation and evolution, someone pointed out that both Jesus and Paul had referred to Adam and Eve as liberal individuals. I'm sorry. They have both referred to Adam and Eve as literal individuals, literal individuals. The response from the Adventist thought leader was, well, of course, Jesus and Paul believed in Adam and Eve. They lived in the first century. They lived in the first century. And that was their understanding at the time. At the time. Do you see what's going on here? Andy asked the question. It isn't, what does the text say? It's, what does the text matter? That's what happens, beloved, when you begin to question truth. The word. And he closes his article with this paragraph. The Adventist church's first fundamental belief is the authority of Scripture. For this reason alone, to be squarely in the center of the Adventist church is not only the best place to be, it is the only place to be. It is the only place to be. Peter went out and wept bitterly. When you deny the truth, begin to question the truth, what happens to Peter? Let me assure you this morning, beloved, that there is more grace in the heart of Jesus for Peter than there is sorrow in the heart of Peter for Jesus. Carl talked to us last night about the grace of God. We'll see that as we proceed the next two mornings. But remember, there is more grace in the heart of Jesus toward Peter than there is sorrow in the heart of Peter for Jesus. And while it's a difficult lesson to learn, it's one that Peter had to learn. It's one that you and I have to learn also. Because those of us who have been in a position of leadership over the years in the church, we know the landscape out there is dotted with individuals who question the truth and stumble badly. Question, is there any hope for Peter? Is there any hope? For Peter, thank God, that's not the end. That is not the end. Failure is not 
final. Fatal failure doesn't have to be final. But we have to accept truth. We have to believe the truth. We have to follow the truth. We have to have fellowship with the Lord Jesus. We have to keep growing in that relationship with our God. Don't quarrel with it. Don't question it. Don't sit in judgment on it. Let it judge you. And the sad part is that it wasn't easy for Peter to learn, but he had to learn. And it can happen to you and it can happen to me. And there's one thing that I want more than anything else. And that is not to stumble and mess up at this age and stage in my life. I want to be able to finish strong for the Lord Jesus. To be able to stand for truth, for righteousness, and to make Jesus not just one of many in my life, not put him on a par with anyone else, but I want him to be prominence, the preeminent one in my life. There is no other one but Jesus. If you're quarreling with God today, if you're questioning him, questioning truth, make a covenant with him. God, I'd like to clean the slate. I want you to know that I'd like for you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Because one of the one of the operations of the Holy Spirit is to lead us into all truth. So Lord, fill me with your Spirit. And lead me into truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Father in heaven, thank you for truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who is the truth. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, who will guide us into all truth. Thank you for the assurance you give us that the truth will make you free. Set us free, Lord, in Christ Jesus. And give us the hope of being faithful and loyal and true until we can walk with you in the kingdom, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Have a wonderful